Now, how about we read the scriptures? So Romans 8. We're going to look at the last part of our passages for this weekend. Romans 8, 12 to 17. You can follow along on the screen there as well. Um, otherwise, if you have your Bible, you can follow along in your Bibles. Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and as children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified. Now, a quick breakdown of where we've been uh, throughout our WinterCon passages, Romans 8, 1 to 17. So, uh, the first part of that, Romans 8, 1 to 4, was looking at the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit enabling believers to keep the law. So, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection being the basis for our believers. Um, the second part of that, 5 to 11, was believers can keep the law because we live according to the Spirit rather than the flesh. So we can live as sons, not even slaves. So we'll get that last part now. Um, how about first verse first? Uh, Father, we come together on our final night, and we pray, Lord, that it won't just pass as though it's nothing. It won't just pass like any other night. It'll be a night that we place a marker down on our lives, that we'll be able to look upon this night and say, this is a night that we committed to really live as sons and daughters of the living God. We want to know what it means to rejoice in this knowledge. We want to know what it means to live out our identity. We want to be completely new beings, sons and daughters of our Father God. Help us, Lord, to feel the weight of the word when we call you Father. Help us, Lord, to recognize sin and idolatry for what they are. And help us, Lord, to know who we are in the grand scheme of things as we turn to you and ask you to illuminate in our hearts this word to us. Reveal to us by the Holy Spirit, because without you, we have no wisdom. So we turn to you now and ask your guidance, speak to us, and spark a new love in our hearts once again for you. With us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Once again, Romans 8, 12 to 13. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if we live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Believers are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And we talked about this throughout the week, uh, which means that we are not debtors. We're, we're not required to live according to the flesh any longer. We as children of God are no longer mastered by sin. Why is this important to mention? Because Paul has mentioned it a few times. Right? If you feel like you're fearing the same thing again and again, you're not mistaken. Because Paul has mentioned this a few times. Why is this important to mention? Because believers still die here on this earth. 
And so we might be mistaken, feeling like, well, I guess our battle of sin. We lost. But when we look at our brothers and sisters dying, we know as well that we still have our daily battles against sin. Some of you know very intimately what your friends are going through now. As you sat together in groups, as you talk through the idolatry in your hearts, the sin that you guys battle through. So we might be tempted to think we haven't been set free from the prison of sin and death. But the Bible tells us that because we're in the Spirit, the flesh doesn't have command over us. It's kind of like this, okay? Sometimes I like to watch, you know, different things on YouTube when I'm brushing my teeth or doing some sort of other activity. And I like to watch survival videos sometimes. You guys ever do this? You watch people, you know, primitively surviving in the woods. And then I like to imagine myself in that scenario because I know it's never happen. You know, I'm never gonna, I barely go camping. I barely go outside, okay? So where people show you how you can survive if you get lost in the wilderness, or something similar to that, okay? And the videos show you how they forage for food, they're like scavenging, how they get enough fluids by doing all sorts of things, how to survive the freezing cold using animal carcasses. It's quite graphic. I can't believe it's not easy, okay? So, and perhaps this is the way that they had to live in times when they needed to be rescued. They were for these videos, right? But what about after they get rescued? What happens post the rescue? Survivors always talk about how you can't live like this forever. The stuff that they tell you to do is to get you through desperate times and desperate situations until the rescue teams arrive. But what if even after getting rescued, you insist? Keep that food away from me. I know how to forage for food now. You start scavenging for food, drinking your own urine, whatever it might be, in order to get fluids. Is this any way to live? Are you freed from the prison? To live according to the flesh will be to dive headlong back into death. So it's not only necessary, but it's entirely possible for you to kill sin inside of your hearts. By saying yes continually to the work of the Spirit in us. He's always at work in you. He's always speaking to you. He's close. He's near. And so we always say yes to what he's doing. We agree with God's work on our behalf. When we become children of God, when we're adopted into his family, it's normal and it's expected and it's most definitely necessary we want to resemble our family more and more. Our brother Jesus Christ, our Father God. To have no family resemblance at all, to have no desire to become like God at all, would probably be evidence that we're not children of God at all. I know this is a common question that comes up. How do I know if I'm not a Christian? How do I know if I am a Christian? Maybe this is one part of the evidence that you can receive. Here's a photo from uh, our wedding. You can see I'm in the middle there. That's Bora and that's me. Um, Bora always likes to talk about this particular photo. Um, and she, I can't do her voice, but she you know, says like, oh, strong genes, you know? And like she kind of like makes fun of my family for some reason. Because some of my family members look very similar. Some of my opposite gender family members look very similar for whatever reason. 
close to some of them. So like a point penalty, or like the top left, you know, the middle right. She always points it out. She's like, it's like fucking ice. Very strong genes in your family. My family members look really alike in this photo. Now my dad likes to tell this story about how uh, when I was very young, like maybe two or three years old, he was watching TV on his favorite TV. Okay? So he's just, you know, leaning back in his chair like this, relaxed after a long day. He looks over at me, I'm doing the same thing. He's doing two or three years, I'm just doing this, you know, even imagine this. And he loves it because he knows that it's not just the genetics part of things. I mean, genetics just doesn't, well, maybe first, okay? But the fact that I want to be like that, he loves it. He always tells this story. He forgets that he's told this story like a hundred times before. And so Corey indulges him and listens to it again and again. Romans 8.13 reads this, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When Paul talks about dying here, this isn't just a physical death that believers and non-believers alike go through here on earth. But it's death in the fullest sense of the word, in the theological, eternal sense of the word. As children of God inherit eternal life, children of God inherit eternal death. So put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live, Paul tells us. Why does he use such strong language? Put to death indicates to us that within our hearts, there's something so ridiculously strong about our desires to carry out the deeds of the body that we must kill it. We must murder it. We must kill something that our hearts desire so greatly. Thomas Cranmer, he says it's what the heart loves the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. I'm sure you've gone through this as well. What the heart loves, the will chooses, the mind justifies. All of you, all of your inner being is working together towards something that your heart desires, whether good or bad. If the desire to put to death that which is against God in our hearts is greater, then surely we can say, that we're born of God. Because we still do battle against sin. That's another part of the evidence that you can tell that you are a Christian. That you are a child of our Heavenly Father. Now I can't stress how crucial this is. This is evidence of being children of God. This is the hinge. This is a safety net. This is our blessed assurance that we can have all doubt removed. We can live doubtless that you're a child of God. J.I. Packer once again says this, the apostle proclaimed that God has so loved those whom he redeemed on the cross that he has adopted them all as his heirs to see and share the glory into which his only begotten son has arisen. Where our praise leader Jackie talked about earlier when she was introduced in scandal of grace, this is it. The perfect son gets cast out, gets punished on our behalf. The undeserving, why? It doesn't make sense. It's scandalous. But that's love. 
We know this through Galatians 4, which talks to us about redemption and adoption. We know this through Ephesians 1, which talks to us about being predestined for adoption. And we know this through 1 John 3, which reassures us that we are truly children of God. In our first sermon, which we, call, we talked about the way that our own words cannot possibly save us, that Christ's death and resurrection are the basis for our deliverance. And in our second sermon this morning, you know, we talked about how practically how slaves believe that grace is there to help them to live a better life, rather than knowing grace as a transforming power and having their hearts melted by gospel truth. This can't be contradicted by what we're reading now, though. When we're reading this now, we have to hold these two things in tension. Only a few verses later, Paul's talking about this. Putting to death the deeds of the body is not with our human hands. It's not with just our own efforts, but it's a work of the Spirit. So we have to rely on and trust in the Spirit to strengthen us. And sometimes this is the hardest thing of all. We have to rely upon the Holy Spirit to resist the temptations and the fleshly desires that war within our hearts. Romans 8.14, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. This means those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. His Spirit's leading you, and you demonstrate your sonship, and you live out your new life in adoption through submitting to the Spirit. So how does this happen? The main aspect of Christian obedience, believe it or not, is not in the hands of the believer. It's in God's hands. Very similar to our baptism messages. It's in God's hands. He's the one moving in our hearts. He's the one enabling us towards obedience. The Spirit is the primary person in Christian obedience. It's His work in our hearts that causes obedience. And we follow His leadership in obeying God. You want to know the greatest thing that you can do to kill your sin? Pray. Pray about it. Ask God to remove that desire from your hearts. But oftentimes, we don't even pray that prayer because we desire it too strongly, and we know that God will act. The next verse there, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. For you to have a spirit means that you were adopted and vice versa. When you're adopted, you have a spirit. You don't need something else, secondary, in order to gain the spirit. You don't level up into this, okay? Being adopted into the family of God means that you've received the spirit. What you didn't receive is a spirit of slavery, which causes you to fall back into fear, scripture tells us. What is fear that Paul is talking about here? It's a fear from knowing that sin leads to death. Okay, so you can fear this, and you still might not have Christ. Because you know that sin leads to death, and so there's a fear of punishment that comes as a result of our sins at the end days. But when you face these things and you don't have Christ, you tremble in fear, thinking God will punish you one day. You know, when I come home from work sometimes, Aura will hear the garage door, we have this ridiculously loud garage door for whatever reason, and so she hears it and she stands near the door 
holding Jonas in her arms, waiting for me to pop my head in. And the moment Jonas sees me, he gets this big, goofy grin on his face. I don't know where he gets from. He's just like smiling. He doesn't give it to me, right? <laughs> he starts laughing and hopping up and down in Laura's arms. Really cute, very tired for her, but it's very cute anyway. But why does he do this? What is the reason that he's doing this? He knows I love him. He knows the moment I come in, I love him. He doesn't have to do anything to be loved. And he's excited to see me. Even if he's in a bad mood and he's whinging or he's frustrating me, he doesn't know yet to be afraid of some sort of punishment that's coming. He's just a baby. What am I going to do, right? Because all he knows at this point is love. For you, brothers and sisters, it's not for you to fear. If you're in Christ, it's not for you to fear. The same Spirit that has been given to you, which freed you from the power of sin, gave you a new obedience to God. It's by the Spirit that we cry out in prayer, Abba, Father. What does it mean for us to pray this? Just calling God our Father. Acknowledging that we've been brought into this new depth of relationship. That He's not just some far off distant God. He's not just some King. He's Dad. He's Father. And He's near to us. We acknowledge that we've been brought into this depth of relationship. That Jesus has with the Father. The same relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father is now made accessible to us. When he taught us to pray, when Jesus taught us to pray, I don't know if you remember that series, we did a series called Teach Us Prayer, okay? When he taught us to pray, he encouraged us to call God our Father too. He told us, do this. Call God Father. You should. The closeness of Abba Father means that we're even telling our own hearts in prayer, reminding ourselves I'm adopted into this family. He's my father. Even when I don't feel it, even when I feel distant, he's not. We're sons. We're comparable to Jesus, who is the Son. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, says this, So let us notice the word cry. It's a very strong word. And clearly the apostle has used it quite deliberately. It means a loud cry. It expresses deep emotion. What then does it imply? Obviously, real knowledge of God. God is no longer to us a distant God. He's not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually, theologically, Theoretically, doctrinally only. All this is possible to one who is not a child of God at all. Children of wrath have been adopted to be fully fledged children of God. This is who we are. We've had an identity shift. That means that we can know that our Father loves us. We all have different experiences with Father here on this earth. I acknowledge this. I don't know what kind of fathers you've grown up with or maybe haven't grown up with. But this Father, our Father God, is loving and caring and kind and patient. And He's all that we ever wanted to be. 
And Jonas is uh, now just learning how to reach out for things that he wants. He's like always like reaching for this, usually for things that he can give for whatever reason. But my favorite thing is when he reaches out to me, especially if he's in his mom's arms. Because that never happens. It happens. It's happened once. Okay. Usually it's the other way when you're crying. Okay. But he's reaching out to me. He's asking me to hold him. It's the best. You know, it's just the best feeling. He doesn't think about who he's around, or whether he's going to be embarrassed, whether it's socially acceptable. If he was here right now, he might not do it, but he might. And if he did, he'd be okay. He just holds his arms up, asks to be held by me. He has a right and a privilege to his dad that no one else does. Like, no one here is going to be like, oh, and then I'm going to be, oh, it's okay. Yeah, that's not going to happen, right? It's only Jonas, right? We too have this type of access to our Father. This is the type of access that we have to our Father. He's not distant. We reach out to Him. He loves to hold you close. Verses 16 to 17. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. In fact, even as we cry out confidently to our God, our Father, the Holy Spirit confirms together with us that we're his children by testifying together with our spirit. Even when we're not sure, when I pray our God, our Father, really confidently on days like tonight, okay? On other days, we don't be like, you know, we're not sure. The Spirit is never unsure. And He's testifying together with you, reminding you, yes, you are His child. To know with absolute confidence that God is your Father, to have the Spirit testifying this truth together with your Spirit, and this is too much to even begin to describe with just words. Okay? It's hard to even do justice to it. It's an experience that you should cry out for, to God yourself. I urge you tonight to do that. What an amazing privilege it is that we can be called children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs of God himself, co-heirs of Christ, we share them in the inheritance that Jesus Christ has gained for us, who are united in him. We who suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. So what does all this mean for us? It means that as those born of God, as children adopted by our Father, our new identity as members of God's family must be the thing that defines our lives. Because oftentimes we define ourselves by our jobs, our families, our hobbies, all sorts of things. But this adoption is the center point of our hearts. For those of us who are in Christ, this is it. We have a new motivation for our lives of faith, for the way that we live our lives. It's the love of our Father which causes us to delight in Him. Instead of believing that we might be able to earn His love or approval in some way, at times, we may need the work of discipline or duty in order to get there, to get ourselves back there. But these are substitutes. But when we struggle to just love him, 
just that that place of prayer. As we love our Father, we'll seek to also love what He loves and hate what He hates. These are strange unions inside of us. It's the blood of Jesus. It's natural for children to take on and share their parents' values and beliefs. Some of you guys, as you're getting older and older, you're recognizing more and more of your parents inside of yourself. It drives us crazy sometimes. You know, like, even like random racist things that they've said in the past. Sometimes we might catch ourselves thinking these things, right? So it's natural for us, children of God, to imitate our Father, to please Him in our love for Him and for our neighbors as well, and to hate our sin. This is the way that we take after Him. Now, this is different from legalism and obedience out of fear of rejection. We're not doing this because we're fearing getting rejected by our God. We're not just following rules and guidelines. Children of God aren't concerned with how holy we appear to be. It's not about appearances for us. We're not trying to earn other people's approval towards through our outward actions. Remember the table from this morning, if you were here this morning. Now, we want to resemble our brother Jesus, our Father God, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we love sacrificially. At great cost to ourselves, the way that Jesus secured our adoption. We hate our sin and how it harms our fellowship and our relationship with God. This is the reason we hate your sin. Because it makes you look less like him. All our work throughout WinterCon, particularly with the group homes, in uncovering our idols and seeking to confess and repent them, these are in service to becoming more like God by discarding the things that take us away from him. Now, this type of work is hard. It might feel pretty embarrassing at times, particularly if you've never done this before. <laughs> you just walk into this building and someone just asks, what's wrong? Like, you know, it's very confronting. But we can do this. Hebrews 12 reminds us that God's fatherly discipline towards us might not be enjoyable at the time, but later we find that it's producing us the fruit of righteousness. So we can do this in deep connection with our community. Why? Because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are family members. This is family business. So welcome one another in. Accept and love one another, regardless of whatever differences exist. There's no need to posture, no need to lie or embellish or cover up. Forgive one another of any sort of wrongs that they might have committed against you, as our Father has forgiven you. And seek to have honest conversations with one another, as you've done thus far at WinkyCon. We're going to spend some time in prayer now. Okay, so let the Holy Spirit work in your hearts throughout the time of prayer. We're going to spend a good hefty time in prayer. Because this is where you really connect with God yourself. Where you can cry out to Abba Father. You can tell Him that you believe that you are His Son and you are His daughter. You can tell your own heart too. So if you've got 10 minutes, praise team is just going to play their instruments. And during this time, you don't have to look to anyone else around you. There'll be time for that later. So let's pray just for ourselves in this time, for our own relationship with God.